Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. And it's great to be with you today. My name is Steve Thomas. I'm the lead pastor at the First Baptist Church of Delray Beach. And I want to talk to you today or share a message called Greater Than You Can Imagine. How great is your God? How big is your God? Do you limit him? Do you narrow him? Is he huge? Do you notice a little bit about him? Today, I want us to consider that he is bigger than we could possibly imagine. When I was a child, we went and saw the ocean. And we saw it first from a distance. Maybe you've done that. You've driven down A1A and you've, you kind of just drive up the beach and you, occasionally you get a view and you get a glimpse. There it is. Oh, wow, that's awesome. And, and you go home and you think, man, I, I have seen the ocean. But really, you've only seen, seen just a very small part of it. Then maybe the next time you go out there and you park and you walk up that sidewalk, up and down that sidewalk where you can see the ocean, but it's still several hundred yards out there in the distance, and you go, man, I've, I've experienced the ocean. I have, I, I've taken in the aroma of the salt air. It's been amazing. I, I've seen it. I, I've experienced it. But really, you've still only seen a very small part of the ocean. And maybe next time you actually get down on the sand, and you walk down the beach, and you can feel the power of the current as the, as the ocean washes up on the beach. And then another time you go down, you go, I'm a good, actually in the ocean and you bob around in there. Maybe you get swept up the beach and maybe you nearly die in the power of the, of the currents. But you say, man, I've really experienced even more of the ocean. Maybe you actually got on a boat and you went out there and you experienced it and you saw the sea life and you did all the things you can do on the ocean. See, God is like that in the sense that we will never know all of him. There's so much to him. There's so much greatness in our God. But we tend to just see him kind of like a drive-by and think that that's who he is. And we miss often his greatness, his immense power. And sometimes we even try to fit him into smaller places and bring him down. We shrink him down to something we can completely understand and even at times try to control. Today, we're going to look at him as greater than we can possibly imagine as we, as we consider a story from the life of Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 14. We look at who Jesus is and who God is And we look at sometimes how we can get confused and get it wrong about who he really is. The great author and theologian A.W. Tozer said this. He said, what comes into the mind when we think of God is the most important thing about us. For we tend by a secret law of the soul to move to our mental image of God. What do you think about when you think about God? What image is there that you have? You see, if Tozer's right, that's the lens through which you see the whole world. And that's how you really order and structure your life based on what you truly believe about God. 
It's kind of a scary thought. And it puts us in a place to say, wait a minute, maybe I need to make sure I've gotten the full picture of God and not just an image that I've created. Here at the First Baptist Church of Delray Beach, we're all about one thing. We want to make Jesus known. And we want to make him known in full. We don't just want to package him in small little bites that people can get and say, this is who Jesus is. We, we want you to know him completely and fully as much as he reveals to you. We want you to be able to take that in because he's more amazing than even we can describe. So today, we look at Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 8. Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 8. Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. They've been sent out by the Holy Spirit. I love how the Bible says it about them. It wasn't just some buddy's idea that, hey, let's just go out there and maybe this is a good idea. No, they're sent volitionally by God to do God's work. Acts chapter 14, verse 8, and they had, they had been in another city and they come to this place called Lystra. The word of the Lord says this. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Now apparently in Lystra, there must not have been a synagogue, a Jewish place of worship, because that's where Paul and Barnabas would normally start their visit to a city. They would go to the synagogue, and they would share the good news of Jesus and complete the story that a lot of people in the synagogue would have known the past. They would have known the Old Testament, but Paul and Barnabas would say, this is what the Old Testament points to. It points to Jesus. This is the, the final sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. He's the one who died for your sin, and that's what they would have shared but apparently in Lystra, there is no synagogue. So Paul begins talking, very likely in the city gate area, where there is, generally that's where kind of the business of a city would take place. A lot of the government uh, uh, functions would take place around this area. And so Paul and Barnabas begin speaking that there's this man. There's a man there, and he, he's crippled, and he's never, ever walked. He's someone who's been crippled from birth. He didn't just get healed all of a sudden and he had walked a few days ago and he hurt his leg. No, he's been crippled from birth and he's sitting there and an amazing thing happens. Paul looks intensely at him. He's staring holes in him. He's looking so closely at him. He's like staring into his soul. And it says that he saw that he had faith to be made well. Now, for us, we kind of think that sounds kind of mystical. How does he know that? How can he read his mind? How does, how does Paul have that sense? But you know what? You've probably had that sense if you've had many spiritual conversations. You can tell often by the look on someone's face what God is doing internally. You look into their eyes. And maybe this crippled man is, maybe he's tearing up. Maybe there's just this look on his face like, I want to believe. Maybe the Holy Spirit just whispering to Paul saying, he's ready. And Paul is about to heal him for the purpose of what? 
Often we think of the healing is just all about this man being able to walk who could never walk and, and he's going to be restored to be able to do something he's never able to do. But no, the healing is always about bringing glory to God and to Jesus Christ. And in Acts in particular, healings are designed to show that the work of God is still at work beyond Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that the people of God still have the power of the Holy Spirit and the power that Jesus had. And so Paul says, get up and walk. And he does. Imagine if he just said, no. No, that, that can't happen. Other people have told me to get up. I can't get up. That's rather rude. Why are you doing that? No, he was ready. He was ready to respond to the Holy Spirit. He was ready to be healed. And he jumps up and he starts jumping around. It's incredible. Something the people had never seen happen. This man who had been sitting there his whole life could now walk. Well, how would they respond? Verse 11. And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, crying and Lycaonian, I can't even pronounce it, Lycaonian. Um, they say this, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. The people see this thing happen and they immediately put it, in, put it into the frame of reference that they already understand. Legend has it that 250 years before this, that Zeus and Hermes had come to this area as men. And so they put, they had that in their mind. And so when they see these guys coming, doing a miracle, they immediately equate that with Zeus and Hermes. And you may say, you know, I think I remember Zeus and Hermes from grade school or middle school. Who were they? Well, in Greek mythology, Zeus, or in Roman mythology, Jupiter, he was the chief god, if you will, of their pantheon. He was the god who ruled all the other gods. And uh, he was known as, for, with a thunderbolt, he was known as powerful. But he also was... Um, did some creepy stuff. I mean, he was known to appear as some kind of an animal to seduce women. And he fathered a bunch of other so-called gods by women, some godlike, some human. So he really wasn't like our God the Father. He was kind of uh, unreliable. And he certainly was not a loving deity. Hermes was also known as Mercury, and Hermes had the winged shoes, you know, he was the athlete, the, uh, the guy who was the messenger, he was the speaker, maybe the father of language, the diplomat, um, and so they called Paul, they thought Paul must be Mercury because he's talking, and Barnabas, you know, maybe Barnabas was a muscular guy, maybe kind of looked powerful like Zeus, and they, they called him Zeus, and they wanted to make sacrifice. It's such a human condition that we always want to fit things into what we already believe. What we already think about something affects how we hear even people talk. 
We'll assume that whatever people are saying is something that, that equates to something we already understand often rather than, than opening our mind to all the possibilities of what it could be that people are saying. And that's what's happening here. They're saying, we know Zeus, we've got his temple right here, so this must be him. We do this with God ourselves, even as followers of Jesus. We, we put on him limitations, and this must be God, this must not be God, based on what we've experienced before. It happens when we come to church as well, often. We assume that God should be doing certain things, and church should be done a certain way, based on how it's always been done. I remember when I was in college, uh, like all good college freshmen, I went to church on my first Sunday. Amen? Amen, college kids? That's what you do, right? And I did. I went to, I went to church my first Sunday. I was a good Baptist boy. And um, I, went to, I went to church, and I showed up at 11 o'clock sharp because all Baptist churches are supposed to have a service on Sunday at 11 o'clock. I got there, and the nerve of them, it was half over. Like, well, what's going on here? This is what I'm expecting, and it's not happening that way. I was all confused. We do that often. We say, God, I, I want my form. I want what I'm used to. And that's how I'll know you. And you know, there's benefit to tradition. To tradition. There's benefit to how we do things. But also, I need to come in and say, God, I want to experience you. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to take some of my blinders off. And I'm going to have to see you as you really are not based on the restraints that I put on you. And that's what's happening here. They're saying, we think you're Zeus and Hermes because that's the only God that could show up. And they want to worship them. Well, like any good religious leader, when they're threatened to be worshipped, it's a, it's a challenge, isn't it? Um, we do this a lot in our culture. We worship leaders. We make them godlike. And it's interesting how Paul and Barnabas respond in verse 14. It says, But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out. And let me, let me stop there. To us, this is an odd thing, right? Why would you tear your garments? I mean, you, you just bought them from walmart or wherever you know why would you tear these garments and understand that this was the most emphatic and dramatic thing you could do to show displeasure this is like shouting out no it's like booing it's it's like it's like honking your horn it's like going on social media and saying how awful something is it, it's the most it's the loudest thing you can do to say no this is horrible you see clothing is is very expensive and precious in those days. If you had two outfits of clothing, that was a lot. And so you are, you are showing great, great, deep inner grief, sometimes mourning, when you rip your clothing like that. It's, it's just this expression of grief and pain as something is wrong. And so that's what they do. They, they tear their clothing and garments, and they rush out to the crowd. You see, it is so important that we see who God actually is rather than who we think he should be, rather than who culture has made him out to be. And Paul and Barnabas says, you're not going to worship us. 
We're not going to allow that. It would be horrible. It'd be blasphemous. It would be refuting who God actually is if we allowed this to continue. And I think part of it has to be this. God is not Zeus. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is God of love. He's a God of opportunity. He's a God who is a God of judgment, but he makes the opportunity available for us. He's not a trickster. He's not unreliable. He is always who he claims to be. Continuing in verse 15. Paul says, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. He says, listen, we're like you. We're just men, even though we have the message of God. We're men. We're just human. We're like you, but we so want you to turn away from these vain things dead, inanimate objects that you worship, this, this Zeus and this Hermes that you have no real connection with. We, we long for you to turn away from what is dead to what is alive. This God has made everything. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He's the creator. And all of all that is in them as well. This is the God we've come to teach you about, to tell you about, to proclaim to you, to open your minds to, verse 16. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk on their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. Here's what he's saying. This, this God... You may have felt like he only talked to the Jews before. You may have, he kind of let the nations do their own thing and they were kind of out there. But Paul says, listen, this you must understand that God has always given you some revelation of himself. There is in his creation and there is deep within you an understanding of who he really is. He didn't leave himself without witness. In fact, he did all the good things you've ever experienced are from him. He's taken good care of you. He's always left himself a witness and provided fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. He's telling them, this is the God that we're proclaiming to you. You see, we always have this tendency to resist the greatness of God. We have this tendency to worship lesser things. We have this tendency to make God smaller than he really is. Romans 1 speaks to that, and uh, Tim Keller in a sermon recently said this. He said, we suppress what we really know down deep in our heart of hearts. We suppress what we know about God. Let me just stop for a moment. Has God given you more revelation than you're willing to receive? In your heart of hearts, the deepest part of your being, what do you know about God? What has he revealed to you? See, it's important to understand that we typically are going to suppress that. We're going to 
push that down because God is so great. He's so amazing. He's so powerful. He's so huge that we tend to say, God, I, I can't take that in. And if, you, and if I do believe that you're as great as you are, then what I tend to do is I see myself as not very great. And our pride and our sinfulness, that's really hard for us to, us to swallow. Thomas Schreiner, professor and author, said this in his commentary on Romans. He says that God has stitched his greatness into the fabric of the human mind so that his majesty is instinctively recognized when one views the created world. So God has stitched it into you. It's there. And when you go out in the created world, you start to see who God is because it connects with something very, very deep inside of you that God has placed there. I mean, I would challenge you. Have you looked for God around you and let it resonate within you? Psalm 8 Three through four says this, when I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? It's very healthy to sit in the presence of God and see his incredible work to Look at those pictures that are coming back from that new space telescope that's showing us the incredible amount of galaxies and stars that are out there that our God created. We think of the greatness of God. Psalm 5010 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. You start to wonder, can God take care of me? He has everything. He owns it all. And then Job, you have to look at Job when you think of the greatness of God. Job 38, 4 says, God is talking to Job about, you think you know so much. Well, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And in verse 12, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Verse 22, have you entered the storehouses of the snow or have you seen the storehouses of hail? Where were you when I did all this? I don't think you were around. See, the whole idea of Job is to see, we need to see God for who he is. And once Job sees God for who he is, his suffering somehow comes into the correct perspective. There's four or five ways I want us to kind of look at today as how we minimize God. How we typically Make him something that he's not. You know, Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments, the first two deal with this. I used to wonder why the first two deal with false ideas about God. What's the first one, right? You shall have no other gods before me. I'm the only God you should worship. Like, all right, I got that. That's cool. And then he says, don't make any graven images. Don't make a God that doesn't exist. I'm like, I don't ever do that. Well, you know when you do that is when you give God false attributes. When you apply things to God that aren't really accurate, we start to minimize God and we start to make our own God. So it's important that we see God accurately. One of the ways we don't do this, one of the ways we attribute false attributes to him, one of the ways that we minimize him is when we worship people. 
like they were doing here. Who is it that you've placed too high? You've maybe given them the place of God. Whatever they say is absolute truth. And whatever they do, you want to be just like, who is that in your life? We've seen it in pastors and preachers before, haven't we? Maybe you've been hurt by someone who stood up as a great leader and they they had great influence in your life and then they fell and you were shattered and you're wondering what in the world happened. It's happened a lot in South Florida. And you wondered, was God at work? Listen, all humans are flawed. There are people we need to learn from, people who can mentor us, people who can lead us. But it's God that does the work in us. Whatever God has done, God has absolutely done, no matter what happened to the person who helped you do it. See, as followers of Jesus here at First Baptist Church of Delray Beach, we want to connect you to Jesus, not to connect you to us and then to Jesus. We're not in between you and Jesus. We're the ones who are helping coach you, advise you, be your cheering section to help you know Jesus. Your relationship is with him. We need to be careful not to worship people. And sometimes we'll look at God and we'll say, you know what, I think God is a very loving God. He's a very fair God. And I think, I think he understands my sin. And I don't really think I need to be concerned about it anymore. So many times my heart breaks as followers of Jesus say, you know, my sin doesn't really matter. It's just who I am. It's how I have to live whether it be sexual sin or whether it be addictive sin or whether it be anger, anxiety, frustration, whatever it is. And we just kind of, you know, Jesus died for you. He understands. Listen. Oh, he does understand. He understands it so much that Jesus went to the cross to pay for everything you've done future with his life. You see, our sin ought to grieve us. It ought to grieve us. Because Jesus paid for it with his life, the one who had no business being on a cross because he was perfect, because he did that, it ought to say to us, I'm just grieved over my my sin to the point that I want to live a repentant life and I want to continually come before you, Jesus, and, and thank you for saving me. Sometimes people think of salvation as a one-time thing and I just repented a long time ago and now I've just lived the best I can and I've just sinned along the way. It doesn't matter. Listen, it does matter. It does matter because as I walk with Jesus, I should be moving closer to him and further from who I used to be. Another way that we make God something he is not is we assume that because his spirit lives in us, That God's purpose is to help me achieve my purpose. God, I got this career plan. I I got this plan for my life. And I want you to get on board with me and help me do what I want to do, Jesus. Because I want to do this and I've added you to my life to kind of be the motor and to kind of help me get where I want to be. And that's that's what I'm all about. Really? The God of the universe is supposed to help you achieve your purpose? I think it would be much better if we were to say, God, I just want to join your purpose. 
I want to get in your car. I want to get on your train. I want to get in your boat. I want to go wherever you're going. I want to form my life around what you want to accomplish. That's what I need to be all about because you are a great and awesome and powerful God and I'm just me. We make him very small and we generally live a very frustrated life when it's all about my purpose and my goals and my plans. It all makes a lot more sense when I realize that Jesus died to put me on his team. And I have a place on his team. I have a purpose with the God of the universe. It's amazing. It's incredible. Fourthly, one of the other things we do or that indicates that we've kind of lost sight of the size of God is when we do live that anxious and angry and frustrated life. We say, God, I don't know why you haven't done this yet. Why haven't you fixed this yet? God, why haven't you given me what I wanted? I've, I've honored you. I showed up at church. I work at church. I do all sorts of great things. And God, I just, I just live kind of, I just live in anticipation of the time you're going to do exactly what I want you to do. Beware, a lot of anger and anxiousness comes from, God, I just don't, I don't like your plan. This is the God of the universe. He's not your servant. He's doing something much bigger than you can possibly imagine. And one other thing, there's many things that we do, but one last thing I want to touch on. When we've lost sight of the bigness of God, the greatness of God, that he's more than we could imagine, we don't rest. Say, Steve, that's a turn I hadn't seen coming. See, the God of the universe made everything, and then he rested. It's not that he was tired. He rested in celebration and completion of what he has done. Let me ask you, have you had a day of rest in the last seven have you had a day of rest in the last 14? So, Steve, I don't have time for that. I'm a busy person. I got all kinds of things. I just want to ask you, if the God of the universe rested and he set this pattern for you, are you more important than the God of the universe? See, there's a day of rest. Could be any day of the week. Doesn't have to be Sunday. For many people it is. There's a time when I... Stop. And yeah, there's some things that you won't get done. There's some things you're going to have to trust God with. But when you take a Sabbath, you're saying, God, you're greater than my schedule. You're greater than all the important things I need to get done. I am stopping to say, you're great, and I am not. So what about you? What's your image of God look like? You see, because God is greater than you can possibly imagine, I urge you, vigorously defend and develop the image of God in your heart. Vigorously. Every time you think of God, every time you open the word of God, every time you hear the word of God proclaimed, every time you talk to someone and you hear someone talk about God, you need to have the biggest view of him you can possibly have. And be very aware when you try to limit him. He is awesome. He is amazing. 
And he sent his son to die for you. As you receive that gift of salvation. That the God of the universe went to the cross to pay for it. Is that the testimony of your life? You see, to follow Jesus is so much more than just a set of rules. Matter of fact, it's not even that. It's to know this incredible God. And you can't know him until you open that door and say, yes, Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you forgive me? I repent of my sin. I can't be good. I I want your spirit to live in me. Until you open that door, you can't possibly know him. You're not even seeing the ocean from the road. You're just seeing a snapshot of the ocean. You need to get down there in the water. You need to open the door and allow God to make himself known to you. Because he's so much greater than you can possibly imagine. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.